Hi everyone, welcome again to another episode of CSAP on the floor. I'm joined today by Esther and we are going to have a fantastic chat about what you can do outside of nine to five and discover all the different ways that you can end up in the technology industry or into different career paths. And so before we begin, Esther, would you like to introduce yourself? I would be happy to. Esther Ayarinde here. Excited to meet all of you virtually through this podcast. I really appreciate you inviting me to do this, Emerald. We're going to have some fun. So to give you a little bit of info about my background. So I, gosh, July will be 15 years at Cisco and I actually joined through CSAP. I joined in our North Carolina or our RTP office in 2006. In the 15 years I've been with Cisco, I've had the privilege of taking on various roles, domestic across the US, but also global roles. Started out my career in commercial sales in sunny Los Angeles, taking care of quite a few of the music and uh, movie theater studios locally, then moved to New York City and was in commercial as well. So taking care of our smaller customers just outside of New York City. From there, I then joined our cable business and continued that fascination, if you will, with the technology behind the entertainment industry, but they're mostly focused on content distribution. From there, transitioned over to being on the media and entertainment and sports team, which is where I had the privilege of working with a lot of my old employers, if you will. So I got to have customers like the National Football League or NFL. From there, I had the privilege of earning the top 1% seller award, what we call Chairman's Club Award. After that, I went on to lead a sales team that supported one of our largest customers, Facebook. Many from that customer are great personal friends today. From there, went on to be chief of staff for our sales and marketing leader, Jerry Elliott, and learned the opportunity of a lifetime to really understand what is behind being an officer of a company, and in particular, a Fortune 63 company at that. So that was awesome. From there, I was asked to take on a, an assignment to build our growth strategy for the continent of Africa. And so partnered with the GMs locally and region, as well as with our corporate strategy team and a small team. We helped in two quarters build out a growth strategy that would help showcase how Africa and the continent can really leapfrog in software as a service and SaaS and just really bridge the digital divide. Did that and then now here I am in CX on our go-to-market team, leading go-to-market for managed services. So that's the long and short of the last 15 years here at Cisco. So that's a spiel, Emerald. That's that's incredible. I, I cannot believe such a jam-packed 14 years at Cisco. One of the things that really caught my eye um, about your bio and when you look at your LinkedIn is this is this statement that you have. Would you be able to explain it to me? Uh, you've mentioned that you're a serial entrepreneur with a passion for technology and people. What does it mean to be a serial entrepreneur and what is a serial entrepreneur? It's the first I've ever heard of that phrase. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm Nigerian by birth and grew up as a Nigerian immigrant in Western countries. So one in London, England, where I was born, and then moved to the United States. 
And one thing that's innately true about Nigerians, and you'll find that if you if you ever go visit Emerald, if you ever go visit Nigeria, you will find that even driving through from the airport in Lagos, Nigeria, all the way to you know the Cisco office in Lagos, Nigeria, you'll notice the amount of people that will approach you about business opportunities, like I'll sell you the service of carrying your luggage in exchange for X amount of dollars. Hey, do you, you know, you're driving down from the airport over to the office, do you need water? Do you need, you know, snacks? Here you go. I've got it directly from my shop and I'm selling it here on the side of the road while you're stopped in traffic. You'll notice about the Nigerian culture, there is such an an entrepreneurial spirit that's that's innate, right? My grandfather on my mother's side was an entrepreneur. He sold cars and traded um, internationally. Both my parents were also entrepreneurs. And that's always been an innate in our family. I was actually the first to go to college here in the US within my immediate family and go and work for a Fortune 100 company. In doing that, I learned that my superpower is that I still have that creative entrepreneurial spirit within me, but I'm doing it within an organization. And so I coined that as a, not an entrepreneur, but an intrapreneur. So an entrepreneur that's operating within a larger organization. There's quite a few articles that are out there that talk about the power of intrapreneurs in that they're they're the types of people that they love to figure out how to solve problems, build teams that also want to go on that same journey to help solve that problem, and then um, be able to celebrate what that win looks like on the end and be able to exit and the success keep going once they're gone. To me, that is the true definition of an entrepreneur. And it's how we be successful throughout my career. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I was I was going to ask, you know, what does it what does it take to become an entrepreneur? But I think you've gone through the characteristics as of such. So then, perhaps, what would be really interesting is what entrepreneurial activities have you started here in Cisco, and how how did that come about? Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I I kind of knew it earlier on in my career. It kind of like stumbled upon me and I found myself just doing these things naturally until somebody kind of called out, you know, a mentor of mine called out, you realize nobody else does this stuff and you do this stuff and it helps so many other people. I didn't kind of set out saying, I'm going to go be a serial entrepreneur and here are the things I'm going to go do. I just kind of did what I felt, solve problems that I felt needed solving and you know, leveraged my either my skill set or my network or resources that were available to help solve the problem. So so two major examples come to mind. One was when I first joined the cable business at Cisco, I recognized it was a very insular team. They spoke the same language. Everyone had worked together for several years. Acronyms they used were different than other places in the, the rest of Cisco. People had deep relationships, which was incredible. The challenge with that was while that might help to get to small growth, to get to immense growth, it needed disruption and it needed difference. But I found it very challenging to be able to provide value with my difference, right? Coming from a different portion of the business, learning different skill sets or bringing different network or resources or capabilities to the team. I thought it really hard to, I kind of equate it to, they all spoke Spanish. 
and I spoke French. And so I get there and I'm speaking French and thinking, oh, everybody speaks French. We're all Cisco. As much as I might yell at the top of my lungs, here are all the great ideas we can do. And I've seen it done over there. We can bring those over here. There's no way we can understand each other, right? And so I created a development program that helped really crystallize and simplify how to understand onboarding in the cable and media industry. And so we would we were kind of unlocking the barriers of tribal knowledge, right? Like translating Spanish to French and French to Spanish. And the power in that is there were so many people who, you know, were were maybe newer to the organization and learned and and knew French but came in and could only get to an elementary level of Spanish that going through the program we built, they realized, oh my goodness, I thought I thought that word meant one thing and it meant something totally different. Now there's so much more opportunity we can go after. I'm, I'm talking in metaphor for a reason because it's pretty complex and there's a couple of different areas where this certainly helped, but the number of people who you know could now unlock the benefits of being able to truly understand the differences between French and Spanish, right? Meant that innovation could happen, meant that, tr- meant that trends can be tracked to find new opportunity or find ways that, you know, we shouldn't be wasting our time in this area. Practically, it meant that you could probably hire talent from outside of the cable industry, from parallel industries now, and they be able to bring innovation from those industries and translate what the value could be to the cable industry. That's a major example that that I would share of being a serial entrepreneur. I said I would give you two, but I'm only going to give, give you one. But no, it's, it's incredible because it's about being able to, first of all, identify the challenge, but having the ability to say, okay, it's it's time to do something about it, or it's it's time to actually try something different. Does that does that come naturally, do you think? Or is that a very scary concept? So it's interesting because, you know, for a lot of the CSAPers and the graduates, we're at the very early part of our career, and there's this expectation that we can bring a lot of difference, but we're also trying to fit into the organization and learn how it is to be in corporate. For a lot of us, it's our first jobs. So is it, does it take a lot to kind of step outside and be like, okay, this is how it's running, but something needs to change? You know, change is also incredibly hard when there's a lot of legacy that has encouraged the way things are to be the way, the way things were, to continue to be the way things are. It's never easy to encourage change or to be a disruptor. The one thing I've learned is that if you can get everybody bought into the status quo or the way things are, aren't good enough or right, share and, and have people be able to understand the pain in staying the way things are, you can typically get people to go on the journey to, to move. I lied. I'm going to give you another one. I joined CX a year and five months ago. And one thing I noted is that in the group I was in in particular, it was very hard to, again, learn Spanish if you knew French, right? It was very hard to really create community and really get in and onboard someone that may have come out of this group, outside of this group. And typically for me, I learned experientially. I learned by creating 
my own board of advisors or creating my own community around me and connecting the dots with trends as to how does this work for these 10 people? If seven out of the 10 people, it works for them, great. Maybe I should think about what trend is working for those seven out of 10 people. And so community for me is really important whenever I go into a net new area that I've got to go in and learn the lay of the land and figure out how to provide value. And it was really hard to do that in this new organization that I joined, given that a month later, we were all in lockdown. And we're now this global team that hadn't met each other, right? About 2,000 people in this organization. And we, you know, I've met only a handful, but we built uh, what is now called the Bridge Book Club. So it is a book club for Cisco employees. Anybody can join. And within 24 hours, we had, you know, a little over 100 people sign up for it, which was just clear that there's a yearning for community outside of the day-to-day work, right? I, I want to connect with people. I want to get to know people so it makes it easier for us to do our jobs. But when we do connect, you know, 30-minute to 60-minute meetings with each other, talking about the tasks, I need you to see me as a human being, not just the human doing. And so we created this book club to bring folks together. And our first book that we're reading is Move by Patty Azzarello, one of my favorite authors. And she talks a lot about any transformation or any change needs everyone at the very least bought in to the pain being painful enough that we don't want to continue. And so any advice I would give is if you're thinking about where to go solve a problem, go look for not just the problem that you see, but the problem that multiples see and that it's painful enough that they can't sit in the status quo. That's an amazing program or amazing community, because especially with a lot of us, we all onboarded in the middle of COVID. So we started a new company, we all met each other online, but I think a big part of being a graduate at Cisco in particular, especially because we often all travel, so I was supposed to be in Singapore this year, is the sense of community that you get and shared experience as you go through a graduate program and living in a new place together. So I think it's it's great to see even, even programs like this as the podcast grassroots organizations and initiatives pop up to try and create that sense of community. Because while it's fantastic to be online as well, you don't just want to work. <laughs> And I think that's a really good segue to talk about another focus that our podcast series and myself in particular about our episodes that we like to focus on is that when you start work and when you're early in career, it's not all about the job and you can still take your passions that you have outside of work and actually apply that to how you work with your team and in your job. And so I really wanted to talk about your experiences in dance and how that's actually, you know, what your experience is, what your journey has been in that particular area of your life and how it's come and influenced and and contributed to your experience of working at Cisco. Gosh, my journey with dance, to be honest, my, my parents got us into musical theater as kids in London because we were incredibly shy, like painfully shy. But, you know, the beauty of arts in general, just like the creative arts, especially the performing arts. And, you know, you've heard, you've heard of artists talk about their alter egos, like Beyonce talks about Sasha Fierce, and that is her alter ego that she gets to be for that day. 
and like get on stage and be exactly who this image of that that fierce person is. And then when she's done, she gets to put it back and go back to her very shy, you know, whatever her authentic self is. Both are authentic self, but it's her way of kind of creatively escaping to this new normal, right? And it's the one thing I just love about the arts in general. But I'll tell you the thing that stuck with me with performing arts in general was was dance. And the three major things I took out of it that I typically apply to the work world today is one, the aspect of team. One of my toughest coaches was on the New York Jets, the newest team in the NFL to institute a dance program. She used to tell us, dance for the person next to you. It is not about you, honey. I do not care if you've gotten 18 years, 20 years of ballerina experience, or if you've been a gymnast all your life and you can't kick as high as the rest of your peers. It is not about you. It is about the team. That experience on dance teams really drove me. It was a big reason why I didn't continue to pursue a career as an individual dancer. I I sought out dance teams to be on because that aspect of community and team and everyone pushing each other and everybody looking out for each other and everybody going through the same pain as each other, all the things you would experience as a professional athlete with your teammates, you only experience with those people, right? So that aspect of team was incredibly important to me and it, it helps me in my work life today in making sure that I check my ego at the door to remember it's about the team. It's a much bigger picture here, yeah. The second aspect about, I will say in particular about dancing in the NFL and NBA is the amount of press and TV work and radio work and getting on stage and talking to fans and whether you're talking to a little kid who is just googly-eyed and can't believe they're meeting an NFL cheerleader, right? Or if it's, you know, a, a homeless person and you're, you know, you're doing charity work in, in a soup kitchen, you learn different ways to communicate at such a rapid pace. And so I would say that would be the second thing that I learned from that experience. And then I would say the third thing with NFL and NBA dance teams, there's an aspect of diversity that is calculated, but I didn't realize the value it would bring to my professional life later. So typically, if you look at a a team of 40, you want to have equal balance on that team of every representation that your fans could see. So you... The question that's always asked is, does this group represent the 90,000 fans that will be in that stadium? It's what made it to where you had people from different nationalities, from different creeds, from different classes, systems, from, you know, you've been international folks. You had women who were doctors, engineers, lawyers. You had just such diversity in thought, experience and literally sheer exterior look. The beauty of that is we we challenged ourselves so much differently than if we were all the same. We brought so much perspective to the table. There's just such exposure to differences of thought and differences of experience that changes the way you look at the teams, or at least it changed the way I look at the teams I get to be a part of every day in my work life. Fantastic. And then I think one last question as well. Do you feel or do you see that diversity within the technology industry now? So you've been with Cisco for 14 years, but stereotypically the IT industry is majority men. It's majority men of a certain particular age. 
Is that something that you're seeing change within the technology industry? Yeah, that's a great question. We've got a lot of work to do to unlock the barriers to more diversity being within the tech industry. We've got a lot of work to do. I think we've made strides. There was an article that was out recently that showed that there's a lot more S&P 500 boards looking to try to pull diverse talent to be part of those boards and represent you know, what the population looks like. But we still have the challenge today that in the S&P 500 of the 4,000 board members, board of directors that are out there, there are about 4,000 in the S&P 500, 3% of them are black, for example. So think about it. I'm, I'm an aspiring board of director in the future. And myself as a black woman, who do I look to that's done it before? Well, guess what? There's only 3% of the 4,000 board of directors that are out there on the S&P 500 that, that have, right? And so there's still a lot of work to be done. I think things like a STEM meeting diversity where they are, right? Meeting, so, so as opposed to saying, well, I can't find the talent. They're all there, but you've got to go look. That's why I'm so passionate about organizations like Silicon Valley Education Foundation, of which I'm on the board of, that focuses on developing underrepresented minority students in the areas of science, technology, and and math, right? So that we can create this pipeline to get into this world, right? So I'd say, yes, we've got to do more to develop. STEM meets the talent where they are. That's number one. Number two, once the talent is there, representation matters. They want to see themselves in their leadership to know it's possible for them. And then the third thing is sponsorship. And in particular, being very clear on the differences between a mentor, a coach, and a sponsor. And so I would say being very prescriptive uh, about the differences between a mentor, coach, and sponsor are really critical. Yeah, fantastic. I think there's a lot to unpack in there as well. The idea of having representatives who've paved the way for you and, and someone you can look up to to say, hey, that there's an opportunity there that I can also reach is really important. And having those programs, such as you mentioned STEM, so even I, I came from a completely non-technical background and it was through one of those outreach programs through Cisco that I actually realized that there was a space for me in the technology industry. So I went from international relations major into doing six months boot camp training and, and continuing my computer studies, being a bit of a nerd. Nice. And that wouldn't be possible without programs such as that. And it's an incredible oh, distinction. True. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely been a complete pivot in, in my imagined career when I was at uni. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Emerald, the other important thing to note is you know, oftentimes there's a perception that you have to have a technical degree to be in tech. And if you think about it, with the advent of the, you know, fourth industrial revolution, technology is everywhere. Technology, especially with COVID, further advancing the digital transformation journey that the globe is going through. Technology is everywhere, right? But also in in multiple technology companies, there are divisions within the companies that aren't just the technical engineering roles like sales, like HR, like finance, like corporate social responsibility, like operations, like supply chain, 
So there's multiple areas where you can work in tech, but may not necessarily be, be part of the mission, but not necessarily have to have an engineering degree. Exactly. Well, even I can, I can see tech in every part of my life. We've talked about a lot of different things today, which are absolutely incredible to hear your insight on. But for our listeners who are early in career, who are either at university or just starting in the technology industry or are interested in, do you have two tips that you could give them about where or what they should be doing at this stage of their career? Yes, 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 absolutely. This is one, I'll give you one in particular that my mentor gave me that I wish somebody would talk to have told me much earlier. She thinks of her career in thirds, first third, second third, and the third third, if you will. The third third or the last third of her career, she looked at that portion of her career as, you know, she's, she's, she's made it. She's just doing what she loves, living her best life, living, doing, living her passion and work doesn't feel like work anymore. It is her playground, right? The second portion of her career was focused on taking calculated risks to gain different experiences, right? As opposed to the typical ladder, you might take a parallel stair. You might walk across as opposed to up. You might try a different group or a different area to just gain some new muscles you wouldn't have already had. Now, the first third, she often describes as just come in with open arms, take it all, try it, do your best, and then move on to next. And I like the way she describes it because it's not like you just take on anything, but it's a, you don't know what you don't know yet. You don't know what your strengths are yet. You don't know all of your potential gifts. The only way you could learn it is by trying. Try everything. Take on that stretch assignment. Go take that job that you've never heard anything about. Try, 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 experiment, try things and pay close attention to the things that come very natural to you, the things that you get really passionate about, right? There could be things that come natural to you, but you're not excited about. But the things that come natural to you and you're passionate about, like that's gold. Write that down. Keep it with you. Consult with your sponsors and mentors to understand where else this could apply, Right. So that that's the biggest advice I would say is for earlier on in your career is try everything. The second thing that I would give is the advice that my old coach on the New York Jets gave me, which is don't forget you are dancing for the person next to you. It is not just about you. Everything we contribute, whether in a small way or a large way, affects others. If you keep in mind getting out of your own head and thinking about how what you do and how you do it, how you show up affects others, only goodness could come from that. So, you know, two things I would leave with. Number one is try everything, experiment and figure out the things that are innate to you. And second, dance for the person next to you. Those are, those are fantastic pieces of wisdom. I'll, I'll definitely be taking that um, and applying that to the first third of my career. So I think that brings us to the end of our episode. So thank you so much for giving us the time and for sharing your experience over the last 14 years and through dance and what you've learned. Thank you so much for, for having me. I'm honored to be part of this group, especially considering I was in the same shoes just shy of 15 years ago. It, it means so much to me that you would invite me to, to come share. So thank you. No, of course. Thank you. Thank you so much, Esther.